0: It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blends All, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, and Fly Racing. Welcome to Industry Seating. My name is Jason Thomas. It is Sunday afternoon, and we are less than a week away from the start of Lucas Oil Pro Motocross. Now, today is Sunday, so we watched the first MXGP round. Well, some of us did. Maybe you did not, but I certainly did. I was very excited to get back to some, some motocross racing. There was a MotoGP race as well in Bruno, Czech Republic, which I have been to before. And there was also a Formula One race at Silverstone in England. Or if you're if you're British, you would say Silverstone. So a lot of racing this morning, it was almost sensory overload because I had Silverstone. I don't know why. I just need to say it like Silverstone because I'm an American. That's how we would say it. I had that on my television. I had MXGP going on my laptop on MXGP-TV.com, which they do an excellent job. And you can find me. At a few rounds later this season, co-hosting alongside Paul Malin, who is the best in the game. So I had that going on on my laptop, and then I also had MotoGP going on on my phone on the MotoGP app. So there, was, there were things coming at me from all directions, and I couldn't really figure out what I was listening to. All of the sounds were up incredibly high, and I just kept turning each one of them higher. And then I got to the point where they were all maxed out. And if you were watching this from some sort of webcam you'd probably think I was a crazy person because I would systematically just go higher and then higher. And none of them were ever coming back down on volume. They were just going higher and higher. So I probably was, uh, yeah, about to blow my windows out of the living room because there was so much noise emanating from every device, but that's all right. I was by myself and it was like a a theater of racing action going on in my house this morning. So good times, a really nice return to racing, even though it wasn't You know, my favorite series wasn't even back in action, which we will have next Saturday. And then we'll have racing again on next Sunday. So we'll have another MotoGP race. We'll have another MXGP round. And actually, we'll have an MXGP round this coming Wednesday in Latvia. And then we will have the final Latvian round at Kegum's on Sunday. So lots of racing coming up. And it's kind of, we're just getting into that sweet spot where everything we've been waiting for and talking about for the last couple of months since Monster Energy Supercross Ended is coming to fruition. Now there are other sports that I'm anxiously awaiting, like college football in the NFL, and and obviously we won't talk about this on that podcast, but we could be setting up for a serious run of entertainment after such a long break of not having really much of anything. I have I think I've reached the end of YouTube as far as entertainment. I've watched a lot of new series on Netflix and Prime video and all these things, which is it's been okay, but I will be honest, I am ready for the sports that I truly enjoy, and I'm, I'm ready to have more weekends like this one where we're getting lots of racing action. So let's get into a little bit of the MXGP action from today, but before we do, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast Pirelli Tires, Plum Creek Funding, Blenzol Oils, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting, 612 Suspension fast foundry and fly racing. I'll get into those a little bit more in depth in a little while, but kicking off this, uh, I guess what it's the third round of, uh, the MXGP series. And and they had a, a serious break because their series starts in late February, early March, depending on the year. And they got their first two rounds in one at Matterley and one at Balkansward. And then they hit the pause button as most of the world did obviously COVID, just basically ground everything to a halt and things that we did not think were possible all happened. And yeah, we won't, we won't go back down that road, but it, it was a seriously long break for all of the MXGP crew. They had to sit by and watch the monster energy supercross series go on. And I'm sure they were upset that they couldn't go racing too. But I thought that, uh, you know, fell did a great job of setting the the example for how this could happen. And that was a very unique situation because for, most series there's no way they can run, you know, 7 rounds within 3 weeks at one venue and anybody sign off on that. But the good news is, we're back on track. Yes, we have I want to say compromised schedules, but they're certainly unique. We've had new tracks, we have removed tracks. And for MXGP, we have a schedule that seemingly was taken a little bit from the Supercross playbook where they have a Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday schedule at a few of these rounds. We're in the midst of that. We just had the first round of that today, and then Wednesday we'll have the second, and then the third on Sunday before we move on. And then we'll have another triple header ser- situation that goes on at Wamal later in the schedule. And then there are, there are a couple Italian rounds that mimic that a little bit as well. Not necessarily all at the same track, but in Italy, which makes things a little bit easier. So they're they're taking what they've learned. And, you know, I think everybody is looking to other sports and other series to see what works and what doesn't. And that's smart. We've never faced a situation like we're in around the world, across the board, doesn't matter what the situation is business-wise, health-wise, life-wise. So to not take things you've seen other people do that work and implement them into your business or your series or your interest is, that's foolish. That would be a waste of experience and a waste of learning. So I applaud the in front crew, which is, you know, formula U stream for taking what they saw from supercross and applying it. Now, how that works for the riders in the MXGP series is yet to be seen because riding a, a an MXGP race or MX two race is much more difficult physically than a supercross day. I would say. Exponentially more difficult. So, those guys went through a pretty tough day. It was a pretty warm day for, let's say, for Eastern Europe. Now, is that a hot day for, you know, Tennessee, which these guys are, are the American series is going to face this coming Saturday? Of course not. No, it was nothing what these guys are going to face in a few days. But it's all relative. And for what those guys are used to, they've been all training in Belgium where it's been very cool and they haven't really been exposed to harsh conditions at all. You could see those guys suffering a bit today in uh, at Kegum's just outside of Riga Latvia. So they're going to have to recover tomorrow. And keep in mind, they've been off, right? Some of them have been racing these uh, international races, like there was one in Arnhem. And there, there have been a few going on around that th- these guys could get some warm-up racing in. But they had a really long break. So I can guarantee you that a lot of these guys are going to wake up tomorrow morning and be incredibly sore just because of the extra effort that an MXGP event requires. And also... Just the adrenaline and the exertion that they're, you know, whether it's subconsciously or not, that they would put in, you just can never replicate the effort you're going to put in at a race versus practicing. It's impossible to do because of the things I just said, the adrenaline and all all of the other things that kick in that raise your effort level. Not to mention they forced in more riding than would normally happen in one day because they didn't have their Saturday practice and qualifiers. So they had two practices today and two motos versus just one practice and two motos. So I think those guys will wake up tomorrow. They'll be pretty sore. And then they're going to have to full like just really concentrate on recovery on Monday and Tuesday. I would bet there will be massages going on. I wouldn't be surprised to see some guys getting IVs just to ensure that they are at a hundred percent and ready to go again on Wednesday morning. They will go through another round of Wednesday, which will be pretty tough. We'll see what the weather turns out to be. I haven't glanced to see what that'll be like. And then they will have one extra day before that next Sunday round. And, you know, we kind of learn what we're going to see. I don't don't think there will be a lot of variance as far as speed or, you know, maybe the results change some like hurlings won't crash and things that we'll get into in here in just a second. But I think the biggest factor in all of that will be who can recover and who can stay hundred percent strong as we roll into these rounds, which we've never seen racing with this short of a turnaround before. So it's going to be a learning experience. It's going to be challenging for these guys, fitness wise, mentally, the teams and mechanics too. They're going to have a lot more work to do in a much shorter period of time. And it's going to wear on these guys. So just something to watch for. But as for the results today, interesting day, we'll start off with the MX2 class. I kind of, man, in, in, I don't want to say that I saw this coming, but I really felt like Vial was going to be the guy to beat. And I even argued with myself a bit because Geerts seems to have more pace than Vial, you know, especially everyone keeps saying that this this series remainder is very sand based and that may be true. And in that light, you would think that Yago Geerts would be the favorite because he's a Belgian and he's great in the sand and it just seems like when all things are even, if he and Vial get out together, Geert beats him more times than not or has more speed more times than not. Now, I pushed back on that a little bit because I, I think Vial has these innate qualities and tools that just kind of separate him in a series like this, where he's not going up against the likes of Hurlings or even Prado anymore. He, he basically has to beat, young kids and that's what this mx2 class is all about and if you look at vial and his skill set he gets the start almost every single time there have not been many motos in his still young career that he has not been either at the very front or in the top three off the start and i think there's that's partially due to his talent and that's very much in part to that red bull ktm 250 that he's on which it seems like everybody that gets on that bike is you know, at the front every single time on the start. And they just seem to have such a great engine package on that motorcycle that as long as you don't screw it up and you can stay out of your own way on the start, you're up there every time. So for Vial, when you're putting yourself in a position to succeed over and over and over, it's really up to you to not screw it up. And if you are on pace with or could possibly be the fastest guy, which it seems like he is, he's right there. You know, I, I could see someone making a case to say that Geertz is better or TKO is better on, on certain days. But on a day like today, he was good enough. You know, Geertz made mistakes as he's prone to do, and Vial put himself at the front, and he almost beat Geertz straight up in that second moto. I mean, he gave him everything he had. And if you're Geertz, you, you have to be like, mm, that's that's not a good sign because I, I think if you are in the Geertz camp, you have kind of been resting on the fact that in a straight up battle, if you and Vial are out together and it's only you two, you're going to beat him most of the time. And that's where you're going to make up points and make the difference. But if he can't count on that and he can't count on Vial getting tired or fading any, or just even being able to beat Vial on a straight up speed edge, that's going to create a very challenging dynamic to beat him because Geertz has proven time and time again that he is really inconsistent on the starts. Now, the caveat to that is sometime last year, and I, and I was actually there during this changeover, so this would have been last August, I was in Lamo, and Geertz made the switch to a Monster Energy Star Yamaha engine package, and we all know how powerful that engine package is in the U.S. They get the starts almost every single time, whether indoors or out, and, and we've talked about that ad nauseum. But it seems that's made a big difference for Geertz and his starting prowess as well. Now, I don't have a lot of information on it. I haven't, you know, and there's obviously a language barrier and things that go on. So you're not going to hear a ton from Geertz on the engine package or how much better it is or any of that. But you hear through the grapevine that it was a pretty big step forward. And I think the proof is in the pudding on the starts. And you saw him today. He was at the front, which last year he just was not. He was all over the map. He, he would be 20th at times on the start, and you just cannot give an edge like that to a guy like Vial, and, and certainly not to a guy like Prado before that, it, that you were done before he even got started. You just had zero chance against a guy as, as good as Prado if you're going to spot him 10 seconds on the first lap. Now he's kind of running into the same thing with Vial, but Vial's, luckily, for, for Geertz is just not as good as Prado was yet. I don't know that Vial gets to that level or not, but he's pretty damn good. I don't know that he has the, the ceiling that Prado may have where he just wins almost every GP all year long. But if you're Geertz, you just have to be like, man, are, you know, are these Red Bull KTM guys, can they just give me a break here? They just keep coming. And Rene Hoffer had a pretty bad day today, but he seems like next in line to create challenges as well. So watch for that battle pretty good series shaping up there. I do think Geertz has a little bit of an edge on these sand tracks. You know, for sure he'll have an edge at Lommel, which there's that three race in a row stint at Lommel. And and that's a really good opportunity for Geertz to make up big points there. But I I still believe that Vial starts will be the edge. And if I have to pick the title favorite right now, I'll take Vial because if you're going to put yourself in a position to win every single time, And I'm going to say 98% of the time, Vial is going to be first or second on the start. And that is so difficult to overcome if that's what you're facing. If you know that your primary competitor is going to get the whole shot every time, that's a daunting task in front of you. That's all I'll say. So shaping up to be a good series, it's going to be much more competitive than we've seen in recent years with Prado just running away with it. So I'll just be thankful for that and uh, happily be a spectator and a fan to watch that thing go. Now, the question that everybody had was, how would TKO respond? And that's Thomas Kier Olsen. For those of you who may not be huge MXGP fans or MX2 fans, I implore you to get involved because the series is phenomenal. But Thomas Kerr Olsen, he's been a series points leader in the past. Prado was injured at times, even though he still won the title. And TKO was the leader. And TKO's from Denmark, very tall, big guy, probably way too big for a 250, if I'm being honest, and that, that definitely hurts him. But his starts are absolutely killing him. And if you look at the points chase now, he is just way, way, way back. And I don't think it's over. That, that would be premature to say. But if he rides like he did today, and we, ha- we know he had a big crash on Wednesday, which seemed to kind of take him off his game for this Sunday event but he's going to have to really get it together. He's going to have to reel off some wins. And more importantly, he's going to need help. He's going to need Vial to have bad motos. He's going to need Geertz to crash more like he did today if he wants any chance of getting in this whatsoever. So I know Lewis Phillips from MX Vice was pretty big on TKO being a force to be reckoned with as this series got back going, but he also didn't know that you know he was going to have this crash on Wednesday as well. So Watch for TKO. He's been a series contender, and he was kind of the answer to Prado's domination at times. Uh, he just didn't quite have enough to uh, to overtake Prado. He just wasn't really on Prado's level. And over time, Prado just wore him down, and then kind of blew him away in the points chase. But I think for most coming into the series, getting rolling, you know, let's let's go back to January. I think most people had TKO circled as the title favorite. I did not. I had uh, I had Vial as my title favorite, and and based on the starts, as I already mentioned. But I think the vast majority of MX2 fans had TKO as the kind of the successor to Prado's success. So it's early, first race back in you know five months or whatever it's been, and we'll learn a lot more as we go. You know, Wednesday and Sunday will give us so much more information and all of the things that we we may be trying to draw conclusions from today that picture may completely change come Wednesday and come Sunday. So I'm going to try to be open-minded and it as well as we go into this MXGP analysis that I'll start now. Don't let one day of racing completely mold your, your views for how this is going to go, because we're going to see lots of different tracks. And I think a lot of people are really rusty coming into today. Uh, just jumping right into it. A guy like Tony Cairoli, I believe was incredibly rusty. He didn't look great at all terrible starts, really never flashed at all. I don't think that's going to be the norm. I think you'll see him bounce back. But keep in mind, he's been injured. You know, he hasn't had a great year or so, and I think it's just going to take him time to get get back there. But I think a guy as savvy as Cairoli today didn't sit well with him. I bet he's pretty pissed off. You know, he's in bed right now, I would assume, in, in Riga. He's probably really unhappy with how today went and he's going to try to write the ship and he'll be hell bent on, on asserting himself on Wednesday to get this thing going back the right direction. So watch for that. Just, just don't try to, you know, don't create a, a full and hard opinion based off of one day after five months off. So MXGP, already kind of started there. Koldenhoff, I mean, what more can you say? And I, I'm going to give Lewis Phillips from MX Vice more grief here because he was, uh, he was not very bullish, as we would say in financial terms, on Glenn Koldenhoff. And he, he just wasn't really making much of a case for, for Koldenhoff hype. And I don't want to say I was right, but I was also kind of like, man, I don't know. We're in that August time frame. And when you talk about Glenn Koldenhoff in August and September, I don't know if it's a seasonal thing. I don't know if it just takes him time to get rolling with his training program. I don't know what it is, but August and September, October, even too, for Glenn Koldenhoff has been a very productive time in his racing career. And if you go back to last season, the last four GPs he won four. you know, we say motos, they would say race wins over there. That's a pretty impressive go when you've got the likes of hurlings and Geiser and all these guys out there. So for him to come out and win the overall today, was it a surprise? Yes. But was I shocked to see Coldenhoff on form? Not really. I I learned my lesson because going back to Redbud Motocross of Nations 2018, I was leading the charge for Coldenhoff getting smoked. I really thought he would be the weak link in the Netherlands Motocross of Nations team. I was on message boards talking about it. I was on shows talking about it, and he he proved me wrong in the strongest way. I don't know how much more wrong I could have possibly been, and he made me look really stupid. But I have since learned my lesson and I will not, I just won't doubt Glenn Koldenhoff anymore. Now, do I think he's the best guy in the sport? No, but he did win today. He got the starts. He got a gift a little bit from Tim Geiser in that second moto, but that's, that's part of the sport. Making the most of other people's mistakes, that's how motocross works. So I don't blame him for that. You know, do I think he was going to straight up beat Geiser? No, I think Geyser would have got him much like he did in the first moto, but that's okay. You know, if you're one of these guys, whether you're Hurlings or Cairoli or, you know, Koldenhoff today, all of these guys know that Geyser is prone to mistakes. He crashes a lot. That's just what he does. Now he's good enough to overcome it. Most of the time he's fast enough where he can crash somehow not hurt himself, get up and still get on the podium, which is pretty remarkable. But you know, in a straight up battle, if you press him, there's going to be a time where he makes a big mistake and likely crashes. It's just what he does. I think we should almost expect it at this point. The question will be, can he continue to do that when Hurlings gets on a roll? Because it, you know, Hurlings, as we found out, or I found out today, had a pretty big concussion in June, kept him off the bike for three weeks, and that, I think that showed up today. Now some of you at home are saying, "Yeah, it was in that was in June. That was, you know, a month ago or longer and he was off the only off the bike for 3 weeks. Well, in my experience, being off the bike for 3 weeks, that takes a toll. You lose all of this momentum that you have going. And not necessarily your fitness base goes downhill, you just kind of lose the sharpness and you know a lot of this speed and, and form as many would say is built out of consistency. And you just, it, it's day after day after day of riding training, doing sprints, starts, all these things, you build momentum and you get the bowl rolling. the ball, excuse me, rolling downhill and it just picks up momentum and you get stronger and stronger and your confidence gets better. And then you, you get in better shape and then you're able to push harder for longer. And then that builds upon itself and it's almost like compounding interest where all of those things begin to work together. And it, it's very hard to beat someone who has those things working together. Well, and, and just for reference, a guy like Ryan Dungey who was rarely injured, he always had that momentum going and that's why he was so difficult to beat in a series is because he had every piece of the puzzle working together. Now for hurlings being off the bike for three weeks, it derails all of that. You don't start over per se because it's not long enough to completely start over, but it, it, you lose the momentum factor. You didn't continue to get better through that period. Instead of taking five steps forward, you took three steps back. So in essence, you're eight steps from where you could have been. And, and those are very abstract numbers, but you understand the point I'm making that instead of using that June time period to improve, he went backwards and then had to then catch up to where he was prior to that incident. So it's a, it's a really damaging experience in a very critical time, because if you know you're going back racing in early August, which they did or, that june period is when you want to be putting in your hardest work it's almost that well it, it would be that boot camp period where you're just riding moto after moto after moto without worrying about rest you're not trying to worry about recovery you're just trying to beat yourself down so then during late july you have time to recover and catch up and then come into august in your strongest form your body has recovered it's taken all those beatdowns that you gave yourself and use those to build muscle and build fitness base and do all these things and you come into Kegum's, you know on August 9th and you're ready for war. Well, he missed a very critical piece of that, you know, that boot camp period being off the bike for 3 weeks and knowing that it was concussion injury, he probably wasn't doing a lot because a lot of concussion protocol or or trying to get back to 100% is heart rate management, you don't want to do a lot because that's going to basically put you back further. And for, you know, we've learned so much about concussions over the last, let's say decade, it's probably less than that to know what helps people recover quicker and what will derail that recovery and going out and doing long bicycle rides or intense gym sessions or any of that stuff is definitely a negative for concussion recovery. So not only was he able not, was he not able to ride motos in the sand and do all the things that make, or what make Jeffrey Hurlings great, he couldn't even do the training that is almost a prerequisite for all any of that. So it was kind of a double whammy on that front as he was probably very mindful of even raising his heart rate at all. So he probably just sat around and didn't do much, you know, a lot of couch time, which was absolutely necessary for his mental health and concussion recovery but as far as being his best self today on August 9th is almost the worst thing possible. There isn't much, a a much worse recipe for success on August 9th than completely taking yourself out of a fitness program in June. And I I just, I've been through it enough times to know what that effect does to you because for super, let's say for supercross November, that would be that November timeframe, right? Supercross starts early January. Well, November is the most critical. It's so much of a heavy workload during November. And if you look at the programs here, the Baker's factory, anybody and everybody that takes racing seriously in America, November one is go time. That is when everything kicks off. And it's, it's both exciting and deflating because it is so brutally tough on your body. And, And mentally it wears you down too. It's just day after day after day of just intense work. Motos, bicycles, running, lifting weights, eating, rinse, repeat, wake up, do it all over again day after day after day. But that's what it takes. If you want to be strong six to eight weeks from then, you just have to suffer through it. And as Zach Osborne would say, you just have to be the hammer. You hammer down, you do the work, you don't complain, or maybe you do complain, but you still do the work anyway. So, Coming back to the main point, Jeffrey Hurlings missed a very vital part of that, and it'll be interesting to see how he handles that, because today wasn't great. It was okay. He fought back. Obviously, getting caught up in that first-term pileup didn't help anything. That was the last thing he needed, coming in a little bit unprepared, but it wasn't the Jeffrey Hurlings that we're used to seeing. That's pretty fair, right? Going, what do you go, 4-4 today? That's not Jeffrey Herlings-like. I don't know of a time I've ever seen Jeffrey Herlings go 4-4 in my life at a GP. So I'll, I will be curious to see how he bounces back on Wednesday. I would bet he's not mad about today, but he's, he's certainly not satisfied. Uh, he can't, you know, He still has the points lead, which is a positive. He got very lucky with Tim Geiser crashing in that second moto because he could have lost big points today. If Geyser goes up and passes Koldenhoff, which you could argue either side, maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't, he would have lost 14 points to Tim Geiser today. That would not have been <laughs> great. He would have been second place in the championship, but he would have lost the red plate. None of those things are great. And yeah, we have so much racing to go, but a guy like Jeffrey Hurlings, who is by many accounts, you know, the preeminent force in, in world motocross right now, for him to not have the red plate, after one round of this return to MXGP would have been a pretty strong signal by Tim Geiser that he wants to retain that world championship. So I'm pretty excited to see how this battle unfolds, how quickly Jeffrey Hurlings can get back on form. And you know, just like I do at some point, we're going to see epic battles between Geiser and Hurlings. They are coming. And we, we already got a little taste of it back in March, you know, Vulcan Swart and Matterly. We got some of it but we haven't got the knockdown drag out battles that we saw a little bit from Cairoli and Geiser last year, that Trentino race between Cairoli and Geiser in 2019 was all time. And I think we're going to see several of those this year between Hurlings and Geiser. And I just hope they can stay healthy and not push themselves to a point where they injure themselves, because I think it will be set up for a championship for the ages, just on a, on a speed and talent level. If they can, they can both stay on their motorcycles. So great racing there. The other note I had was on Cairoli, which I kind of touched on. I think he'll get better. Remember he had a lot of time off and he had a son and there's been a lot of change for him, but he did sign a new KTM contract. So that's great. We'll see him around again in 2021. I think he'll get better. Today was not a good day. His results were not good. He was never at the front and he had bad starts, which is weird for Tony because he almost always has good starts. Also keep in mind that with this schedule, they go right into time qualifying for gate pick, which normally they do a race for time qualifying. So it's a little bit of a different dynamic for their gate pick, and at a track like Kegums, where the start is everything and it's all about getting the inside gates, that may have worked against Tony, just having to go one flat-out lap today. So we'll, we'll watch for that, see how the gate picks change, and how much more emphasis these guys put on the one lap for Wednesday knowing how critical those inside gates are for Kegums, because if you haven't watched the race today or you haven't ever been there, which I'm sure most of you haven't, the start, basically the first gate is on the, it goes in a straight line to the the inside, and then it's a hard right hand 180 turn. So if you're on the inside, all you have to do is come out even break early and just kind of tiptoe around the inside and you come out top five. It, it's just that it's that easy. I know that sounds very simple, but if you're on these guys' level, it is that simple. As long as you don't blow it and crash in the first turn or do something stupid like Hurlings did, you're almost guaranteed a good start on that inside. So it's just one of the more unique aspects of Kegums. Some tracks are like that. I think that MXGP as a whole, they support that. I think they like to put a lot of emphasis on the inside gates and qualifying positions, be favored, and all those type of things. I don't love it, to be honest. I think that the inside gates should be kind of like the outside gates. I think the middle gates should be the favored ones. That way there are twice as many decent gates. Because if you think about it, if the middle gates are optimal, You the, all the gates moving from the inside and all the gates moving from the outside, you're doubling the amount of decent gates, if that makes sense. Where if the very inside is the optimal position, the further outside you go, the worse it gets. And it only works in one direction. And by the time you get to the middle, like where the box is, you're screwed. You have no chance. And if you get outside of that, it's even worse. And if you go back and watch the races from Kegums, which they'll be on CBS Sports tonight. Uh, if, you have, if you have CBS Sports, great. That's an awesome option. Uh, they are delayed, of course. But having MXGP on in television America is pretty cool, which I will be co-hosting the broadcast of that later this year. But just watch the start, and you'll see what I mean. The guys on the outside, they go down there, and they just have nowhere to go. They literally just have to stop and wait for everybody to turn to the inside of them and, and just file in, and they're basically in last. I just don't think that's great for racing. Um, I understand the concept of it. You want to reward those that do well in qualifying. I just think that it should be a little bit more fair and a guy that maybe, maybe his strength is not doing one crazy ball's lap or maybe he had an issue in the qualifying race on Saturday at, at most GPs. That's the way it works, right? This season's going to be a little different, but most rounds they would race on Saturday. What if his bike broke on Saturday and he's last, he has no chance on a start like Keghams. I mean, literally no chance. He's on the very outside gate. He can't even see the first turn from where he's at. So I just, I think it almost ruins your day. You literally have just no chance of a decent result in that scenario. So, won't get off on a, too much of a tangent on that, but I think we've seen them try at some events in, the, in America to adopt that Bud's Creek was one because if you remember at the motocross of nations in 2007, they completely changed the start with that in mind. The inside gates were absolutely the best gates. And that's why Ryan Villapoto hole whole shotted both motos from that inside gate. And he was just gone. And we kept that start for years. It's still that way to this day. A few years we ran the track the other direction, so it kind of floated up the hill, which was was definitely more fair. But having raced that track several times after that, it was incredibly unfair if you didn't qualify really, really well. So I if I have my choice, I'll stick with the American style where you want to be more to the middle for your best chance, and then the guys on the very inside and the guys on the very outside have it a little bit tougher, but all of the all of the middle gates – relative middle gates have a really good chance and it's more up to you. It's not your fate is not already decided for you. It's up to you to make good on it. So enough about that. Let's talk about the sponsors a little bit. I want to thank Pirelli Tires for being on board. They are obviously the the choice of many teams in MXGP. So they got back to racing today. Obviously Formula One too. They are the spec tire for Formula One, but they have guys like Jeffrey Hurlings, of course, Tony Cairoli, Jorge Prado, Tom Bial, and they've dominated MXGP for a very long time. So we'll see if they can win another world championship in MXGP again in 2020. Now their motocross guys will get back to going in America too. Joey Savacci will be on the JGR Suzuki, see how he does in his return, actually his debut on JGR Suzuki and see how that goes using Pirelli tires. So I will be cheering for them. And I want to thank them for being aboard this podcast. Blenzol oils, they are back in action and they've been around forever. Now it's under new ownership and they are much more aggressive than ever before. So go check out Blenzol.com. Go to at Blenzol on their Instagram. Learn more. Check out what they have to offer. You can get 10% off on mixed pine cases if you order from Blenzol.com. And I want to thank those guys for being on board. And I also want to commend them for being so active in their sponsorship and in all the racing engagements that they're in which unfortunately many of those have been canceled due to coronavirus but moving forward they are going to be all over the place and you're and whether you want to learn about Blenzoll or not you're probably going to also want to thank works connection go to at works connection on their Instagram worksconnection.com to learn more go check out that pro lunch start device I've, I've talked about it for a few weeks but I believe in this thing you look at guys like Ken Roxon and Justin Brayton yes. They, work, they use a works connection starting device. I just watched approximately 692 motos at Loretta Lens last week. Guess what? Getting a good start helps you do better. Ask anybody that was there. If you get a bad start, ask Dylan Schwartz in the open pro sport. He could have won a title had he gotten better starts. I don't know that he would have, but he could have. Unfortunately, his starts sucked and he put himself in the back. And if you don't get good starts, you're really ruining any chance of positive results, or at least making your life that much more difficult. So I recommend the Works Connection Pro Launch Start Device. And listen, life's hard enough. Don't make it harder on yourself. Get good starts. Don't get roosted. Win more motos like Chris Kiefer did. Use a pro launch start device. Chris Kiefer is also a sponsor by Works Connection, so I can throw him in there too. Thank you to Works Connection. Pump Creek funding mortgage rates are still under 3%. And Zach Morris over there has been doing deals with all kinds of people. He just wrapped up a closing with BMX Olympic gold medalist, Connor Fields on a refinance. And I think that's really where most people are going to benefit from the rates are refinancing. Now, if you want to go buy a new house, great. That's awesome. Congratulations. But for most people, they probably already have a mortgage, but they don't even realize how much money they could be saving right now. Just by going through a refi. Now refi rates nationally are through the roof because a lot of people are hearing about this, asking questions and understanding that they can save a ton of money long-term. So that's what I suggest that you do. Call Zach Morris, 720-212-4685. Go to at Plum Creek Funding Instagram and at least learn what he can do for you. At least he can He can just answer your questions you can lay out your situation what your interest rate is how many years you have left or if you're looking to buy something he can give you good advice because this is his area of expertise we are not all financial wizards i am not one myself but i like learning and i like asking questions because being smarter is always better so thanks to plum creek funding i also want to thank premier vapor blasting I kind of say that it's every week, but I I truly believe in it. If you go to at premier vapor blasting and check out their Instagram and see what they can do for restoring old parts, or, you know, if you have an older two stroke or you have a, even if you have a bike, that's two years old, you've just been beating the crap out of it. Go see what they can do with their innovative vapor blasting restoration. I didn't know much about this going back. Let's say February. Uh, I talked to Brandon Coker over there and he was explaining how this worked and, and, you know, asking if I wanted to work together. And, and I was like, yeah, I mean, if I need to see what this is all about, because I don't really like promoting things that I don't believe in. That's just a fundamental, uh, just policy that I have. But once I saw the work they were capable of doing and the quality of their work, I was all in. So go check out at premier vapor blasting. If you mention this podcast, industry seating podcast, you would get a 25% discount And I promise you, whatever is on your bike, they can make look better. also want to thank 612 Suspension. Ronnie can work on whatever power sports item you have, side-by-side, adventure bike, obviously motocross bike, off-road racing, quad, street bike, whatever the case may be. If you have a motorcycle or a side-by-side or a quad or whatever, talk to 612 Suspension, talk to Ronnie Monk, and see how he can make it perform to the best of its ability I kind of mentioned this week in and week out about just getting your oil changed on whatever the item is, and you're going to increase the performance. Now, if you want to go all in and get revalved and, and he is a part of the race tech family. So of course he has access to all the, the race settings that they go with guys like Ben LeMay and all these guys that they've helped out over the years to get better results going back decades. I can remember my dad, my dad was a mechanic, you know, my whole life. He would use Race Tech gold valves when he would revalve my suspension. That you know, that was early days. But the point is, with Ronnie's expertise and experience and his access to Race Tech's incredible quality components, they can get you dialed in. And whether you're racing or just riding, your bike, your quad, your side by side will work exactly how it was intended to, or even better. Now, last, I want to thank Fast Foundry. Well, maybe not last, but I want to thank Fast Foundry. And much like Plum Creek Funding, they are an outside the industry sponsor of industry seeding, but they are all about tech solutions. If you're a company that's been in business for 20 years, if you are a startup, there is a way for Fast Foundry to help you. Whether you need to automate, whether you need to modernize, whether you just need to get more efficient, reach out to fastfoundry.com, ask for Robert and see what they can do for you. Now they've helped me. They've answered my questions. They've worked with companies like Intel and Mountain Dew and fortune 500 companies. So I can guarantee you that they have a way to make your business more efficient and get up to speed in the modern era. And what we're all learning in this coronavirus these, these times that we're in and moving forward is that business is going to have to be on your a game. There is no room anymore to kind of just lackadaisically wander through the, the financial and business world. Your business is going to need to be lean and mean, basically be its best self. So reach out to Fast Foundry and find out what they can do for you today. Now, finally, last but not least, Fly Racing, the new stuff is finally out. 2021 is here. Go to flyracing.com, see the new line, go to formula.flyracing.com, learn about the Formula Helmet. I've been pushing all week. I've been all over the place on podcasts and videos, but it's finally time. Where I was actually <laughs> crazily, I was in the warehouse yesterday on Saturday all day helping ship orders and just get this stuff to dealers so customers can get their orders. And that's just a part of that. We're we're a part of a big team, so being in the warehouse helping ship orders is not something that you know the sales side would typically do. But we live by this mantra of the fly racing family and. There is no better example of that than all of us coming together to, yeah, do things that maybe step out of our comfort zone and work with teams that we're not used to working with for the greater good. So, check out flyracing.com. Check out at flyracingusa Instagram to learn more. Now, the last couple of things on the, this MXGP racing, the return of Roman Febra was this weekend, and he got on the podium. Now, this this is the team, the Monster Energy Kawasaki teams, KRT. We were very close to sponsoring them as Fly Racing. We had several meetings and rounds of negotiation, and I honestly thought the deal was done. I, I really did believe that. We met with them at Motocross of Nations in Assen last September, and in the, the 11th hour, they decided to uh, go with Alpine Stars, who Roman Febra had been with. So there was a pre existing relationship between Febra and Alpine Stars. So I completely understood. No hard feelings. I was very thankful for uh, just the way we were treated and the level of professionalism from that team. So I like those guys. I was cheering for for febra today coming off of that femur injury, and it had to feel good for him because he hasn't raced in a long time. He switched teams. He switched OEMs. He switched everything, you know, and, and to come out and get a podium at his his first MXGP round back was pretty cool. And that's not a track that you would really – think that Febra is going to excel at you know when we get to some of the more hard pack rounds I think you're going to even see a better Roman febra. so so for him to end up on the podium in Latvia in a sandier track that that seems to favor aggression over uh, precision and finesse which is I think where Febra shines it's a pretty strong return to racing for Roman Febra. so nice job by him and we'll see what he can do as he gets stronger and stronger, you know, cause he's still working to return, right? You don't find your best self at your first race back after a huge injury. Uh, and then he, you know, I'm talking about the femur from last year, but then he went through a knee injury on top of that. So I, I kind of glossed over that, but um, he's had two big injuries in the last year that he's had to overcome. And that, that had to feel good for him spraying champagne today. The last note I have on here is uh, for Jeremy Seeler and that guy is full send all the time. And once again, he gets a second place in a moto, second moto this afternoon. So he's still looking for that first moto win. It's got to come eventually. I actually thought he was going to go get Koldenhoff because if, if you know anything about Seewer, he is just dying to get that moto win every time he lines up. He knows he's right on the cusp of it. And last season, you know, I went to China uh, at the end of the series Uh, just before motocross nations. And that was all that was on his mind. I got to get this first win. I got to get a moto win. And he's so close to it. So let's watch to see if he can finally get that done. And honestly, the thing I like most about Seawar is he is just fully committed. And it's scary. I could never race the way he does where he takes big chances all the time, but he usually gets away with it. But I just, I like the level of effort he puts in and you never watch him ride and question whether he's trying or not. There are a lot of guys, whether it's in the USA or Europe or wherever, what where I watch them riding. And I'm like, I don't know how much effort they're really giving. Like, I'm sure they're trying, but are they really putting it all on the line and, and leaving their best effort out on the racetrack? Or are they holding something back and their heart's not really in it, or they're tired, which indicates lack of effort during the week. That is never, ever the case with Jeremy Sewer, And, and I really respect that. So I am a Jeremy Sewer fan. And uh, it was good to see him up in the mix with such a deep field. And it's easy to get caught up in the big names like Hurlings and Geiser and all these, you know, Cairoli. There's so many world championships between all of them. It's very easy to forget how great of a rider Jeremy Sewer is. And he finds himself on the podium more times than not. So for those of you who are just getting into MXGP or want to learn more about it, Jeremy Sewer is a great guy to root for. And he's kind of the underdog. And he's short like me. Uh, he didn't, you know, he wasn't winning world championships or anything. So I think I, I identify a little bit with him, uh, but it's great to watch him get better and better and become closer to that race winning level that we're all, uh, or at least I am cheering for. So that's it for this week's industry seating. This is the last one. Thankfully, before we get back into Lucas Oil Pro Motocross racing, I am very thankful for that. We will have all kinds of results to talk about next Sunday. So with that being said, thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging in there while we've wandered through these weeks of no racing and nothing to talk about. Thank you for all the questions that you've sent in email and direct messaging. You guys made the podcast for these last two months without you guys, I would have had literally nothing to talk about. So a big thank you. I can't express my gratitude enough for you guys to being tuned in and subscribing, continue to email me with feedback, what you want to hear, what I'm not good at, what I could do better. I'm not an expert at this. This isn't my full-time job. I enjoy doing it. I love hearing from you guys. And hopefully we'll get back into our VIP program and Supercross next year. And I will definitely tell you guys more about that as we get closer to Supercross next year, which gives me a great chance to meet all of you and spend a day with you at Supercross. So again, thank you. Thank you to all the sponsors. Talk to you Sunday. See you.